so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. It's one of my favourite passages of Scripture. It, it, uh, John 15:5, I could say, um, saved me in ministry when I was burnt out um, and um, had had enough and had basically uh, was, a, was a crying mess on the floor um, and taking some time away and, and, and just reading through John's Gospel. Uh, and then this verse just struck me. I read it in the message just to, to make it a little bit unfamiliar to me. But, but just this idea of, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Even if I'm trying to do things for Jesus, apart from Him, apart from an intimate relationship with Him, as it says in the message translation, or paraphrase, uh, I can do nothing. And so this is a well-worn passage for me, but I want to encourage you, no matter how familiar you are with a portion of Scripture, there's always more to discover. And so this week was the first time I've ever met with a winemaker as part of my sermon preparation. Um, our friend Bill, a local winemaker, I asked him if we could meet together because this passage talks about fruitfulness and grapevines and pruning and as much as I think I understand well, what that might look like, I thought, well, I'm actually going to meet with a winemaker and we're just going to talk about what's involved in that. And so more of that might show up in next week's message, but I encourage you not to let a piece of scripture get familiar that, to the point where you're kind of reading through and you go, yeah, I know that. I confess if I'm reading a Christian book where it quotes scripture, sometimes I fall into the trap of I start to read like the quoted piece of scripture and I go, oh yeah, I know that one and jump down. That's what I was reading. Don't, don't, don't be me. Let's resist that temptation to think, yeah, I've got it. And so that's why I resisted the temptation to, to shorten that this morning for Laurie. I said, I'm giving you the whole thing. I said, I challenged him to do it without taking a breath, but um, he didn't quite get there. But don't let that... Be you. Don't let us get so familiar. And so this year, our, our vision, our theme, the thing that's kind of going to overarch our focus for the year is, is this word abide. Um, and if this is the first time you're seeing that picture on the screen or on the back wall, all of those words around it are, are words that kind of unpack, that speak to, it's like a thesaurus cloud of what it means to abide. Uh, it's, it's, abide is the word that the King James Version, the old King James, used to translate the word that we read as remain uh, in the NIV or the New Living Translation this morning. And so we're digging into this idea of what it means to abide. And so Jesus talks in this passage about what does abiding look like? What does it look like? And so this morning, uh, I'm going to go through some things that Jesus talks about this passage, but it's not an exhaustive list of what it looks like to abide in Jesus or, or the thoughts around that. But, but I want to give us some concrete things this morning to, to anchor our thoughts upon when we think about abiding in Jesus. And so the first thing I, I want us to grab hold of is, is that to abide in Jesus, to abide is to abide in the presence of God. That might seem a little bit obvious. It might seem, well, of course, it's Jesus God, but, but I want us to grab that, that this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about just having some rest in our life, some, 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 some quieter moments, though I really recommend that. We're not talking about just some stillness or 
some, some mindfulness practices, though those are good. It's good to be mindful of your thoughts and feelings and what's going on for you. We're, we're talking about abiding in the presence of God. And so in these first six verses, just to pop them up on the screen there again, Jesus talks about our relationship with him and with the Father. The Holy Spirit's not explicitly spoken of in this passage, but we only need to turn to the next chapter and, and Jesus is unpacking that the Holy Spirit will be with us and in us. And so in these first six verses of this passage, Jesus makes our relationship to Him and to the Father clear. And I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but, but He says in these first six verses, He says, I am the true vine. He says that the Father is the gardener. He says that you, that's the disciples he's speaking to, that's you and I, we are the branches. And so Jesus makes our relationship to him and to the Father clear. He's the vine, the Father's the gardener, we're the branches. And so this speaks of presence and proximity. If Jesus is the vine and, and we're a branch on that vine, then, then we're positioned in the presence of the vine where we're in close proximity to Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I look at the grapevine, I don't look at it and think of those things as separate components. I don't see, oh, well, there's the vine and there's the branch and they're two separate things. And so Jesus is saying, you're so much in my presence, there's not really... A, a, a different, avoid a difference, a point where you end and I begin, or where he ends and we begin. He's the vine, we are the branches. Uh, the thing about a branch with a vine, though, is that the branch is completely dependent upon the vine. We are completely dependent upon the presence of Jesus, He is our source of sustenance. In verse 6 it says, If you remain or if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Jesus is saying that just as we're abiding in him, just as we're a branch connected to the vine, his presence is within us. Just as a branch is connected to the vine, the, the, the sap, the nutrients flow from the vine into the branch. He is our source, He is our nourishment, we are in His presence. And so this is, this is kind of you know, the basic concept of this passage. Present with Jesus, connected to Him. And I confess this morning, you know, the, the concept of the Father as the gardener, I've kind of gone, yep, God prunes us, yep. Um, some of those painful experiences in life might be God pruning me. But, but it struck me this week that for the, the father to be the gardener, he has to be present. See, this, this vineyard metaphor is common not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. It's, it's this common idea of, of, of a vineyard to represent God's people. But mostly God, God the father is spoken of as the landlord. He owns the vineyard and the vines are Israel. 
But Jesus makes it a much more intimate, present picture. He says, well, the vine is now me. I am the true vine and you are a branch of me if you're my people. And instead, the father is, of course, the landlord. He owns everything in all of creation, belongs to him. But, but that's not what Jesus calls him in this passage. He calls him the gardener. Which might be a good job, but it's not a particularly high-ranking position for the God of all the universe. And so what's the point? The point is the gardener has to be present to prune. The gardener has to be present to, to tend to the vines. And, and so I had this concept of, yeah, the father comes in, uh, my concept of pruning a, 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 a tree. I'm not a great gardener. If I get to it, it's like it's a once-a-year hackback. And so my concept, I guess, of the father is that once a year or so, once every now and again, he'll, he'll show up and he'll just hack bits off me that are not fruitful. But when I met with Bill over coffee... Um, I was struck by how constant and consistent the process of vine dressing is. The gardener is consistently present throughout the entire growing season, tending to the vines. And, and even in that winter period when, when there's not a lot of pruning happening, Bill said what they do is, after they've harvested all the fruit, they, they give every vine a really big drink while it's still got its foliage on. So it sucks up all of the nutrients and water from the ground. And they do that before it prunes. And he says, what that does is that the vine is loaded up with potential for when spring comes. And I thought that's such a great picture of, of some of the more dormant periods in our life, some of the, the periods when, when we maybe think, oh, I'm not growing much, I'm not producing much fruit, just to think of the Father has, has loaded you with potential in that moment of your life for when, when that first sign of spring comes for you to flourish into fruitfulness. And so even in the dormant period, the, the father, the farmer, the gardener has, has given us what we need. But then Bill said, what they do after they water it is they, they cut off, he called them canes, but all essentially the branches, they cut them off so that there's, um, the, the, the vine is shaped into a T. So there's the trunk and the two branches going out, the two kind of main big branches going out. Um, I don't think intentionally Jesus perhaps had this in mind, but it kind of looks like a cross. And so when he says, I am the vine, uh, it's in a cross shape. And then along those branches, what they'll do is they'll cut it back to six spurs, which is where the new growth will come from. And they allow two buds on each spur. Uh, and then winter comes. And then in spring, it, it flourishes into buds. And so sometimes those spurs will have four and they need to pluck it back just to two. Um, sometimes buds will come out of other parts of the vine that they're not meant to and they'll pluck those off. And he says if we don't do that, then there's just too much growth and you might get a lot of flowers and grapes at the start, but none of it will ever ripen. None of it will ever be good fruit. And so they do that. And then once the bunches of grapes start to grow, they, they go through and, and they make sure there's only a certain number of grapes on, on each of those buds that is budded and they trim that back. And then as time goes on and the, the fruit begins to ripen, they, they tend to the leaves. Because if there's too many leaves, the grapes can get mold and mildew on them. But if there's not enough, they can get sunburned. And, and I'm sure it's much more complicated than I can remember or speak to you, but, but I was struck by the vine dresser, the gardener is constantly present. He knows which season it is. He knows what to do in that moment to ensure that the vine is 
the most fruitful it can be in terms of producing good fruit. And so the Father isn't this kind of God who shows up once in a while to hack you back. He's constantly present in your life. He's constantly shaping you and tending to you and pruning you and watering you and and He knows what season you're in and He knows what you need right now. And so sometimes that might be like, we might see the fruit lying on the ground that we've we've kind of, I've grown some fruit. And the the gardener comes along and choop, 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 not yet. And we might be frustrated, but, but, but we can trust the presence of our loving Father that He knows what He's doing. He knows which season we're in. He knows when the right time for that fruit to ripen will be. It's also a very hands-on process. Uh, Bill said that some of the larger wineries, what, what they can do, and he wasn't being critical of them, but, but they have what's called a barrel pruner. So they just go along with the machine and go, boom, 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 and it busts everything off. Um, and they also have a similar machine for harvesting and things like that. And he, what he said is you will never get the same quality of fruitfulness from a machine-tended vineyard. You'll get much you know, more because there's less man hours and you can do much more land and things like that. But you'll never get the same product from one that's been tended to by hand. And he said most of good wine happens in the vineyard, not in the fermentation process, the winemaking process. And so that, that, that was a real kind of a, a fresh piece of gold for me this week as I explored that, just that, that concept of, of abiding not just in Jesus as the vine but in the presence of God who's shaping me constantly, who's tending to me. And so I want to encourage us uh, that the, the key, the first part of what it means to abide, to abide in Jesus is, is, is we're abiding in the presence of God. I encourage you to pursue that connection with Jesus. Pursue it. Seek out connection with Jesus. And we're going to walk through a little bit of what that might look like. But know. See, so much of abiding happens in our beliefs and our understandings. But know that the Father is constantly present in your life. Declare that over yourself. The Father is constantly present in my life. And I abide in that presence. So it begins, the first thing Jesus says is it's about abiding in the presence of God. But it's also abiding in His Word. And so to abide in Jesus is to abide in His Word. And so in John 15, 3, which, which was in that first group of verses we already had up there, but just to capture that, Jesus says, you are already clean, or as, as Laurie made more clear in his translation, that's, that's a word for pruning. You've already been pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. In verse 7, a little bit further down, it says, if you remain in me, this is Jesus, and my word remains in you, or if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
And so at the beginning of uh, John's gospel, he, he begins what's known as, as the prologue. It, it begins in the beginning of time and it says, in the beginning there was the word. The Greek word for that is logos. In the beginning there was the logos. And so all throughout Scripture, there's this connection, this relationship between God's Word and God's person, His, his identity, his, his power, His presence, that, that is more intimately connected than, than my presence and my Word. And so to speak of God's Word is, is also, in a sense, to speak of His presence. That's why there's so much power in Scripture, because it isn't just a, a, a dead letters on a page. It's, it's power, it's the presence of God God's word was his agent in creation. Both the spoken word and the person of Jesus. In Genesis 1, it says that God said, let there be, and there was. Let there be light, and there was light. It also says in Colossians that of Jesus, in him and through thing. Through him all things were made. There's, there's this relationship between God's word and the identity of him, the person of him, that is Jesus. They're intimately connected. And so God's word, his, his, his spoken word, his written word is one of the ways that we're shaped, we're pruned, we're clean. You are already clean, you are already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you, Jesus says. There's something about the truth, something about God's word that has a power in our life to shape us, to break off unnecessary and unfruitful growth, to encourage, to nourish fruitful growth. In, in verse 7, Jesus speaks even more deeply, I think, about that. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. And so Jesus here is speaking about dwelling, abiding in his word that, that you know, comes in so many forms. We can have it on our phones now, which is great. We can have it on our computers. We can have it in a written text. It doesn't matter what format it comes in. Um, sometimes it's helpful to not have it in a digital form because there's lots of distractions that come with that if you're anything like me as well. And, and so that's why I keep carrying my battered old one around. Um, I did buy a new one once and I accidentally left it on the top of my car and had to go back to the duct tape job. But Jesus is speaking about us dwelling in his word and that takes time. It's not, like a, it's not meant to be a chore or a tick the list that I've, I've, I've done it this morning. It's not, I'm not saying you have to read so much amount, but, but to truly dwell in the, in the word of God, it, it, it takes time. You can't build a relationship with someone without time. And so to abide in Jesus is to abide in his word. It, it takes time. But, but Jesus is speaking even deeper than that. He's, he's not just saying that we need to abide in his word. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain, my words abide in you. So that, that's, that's deeper than me just been in the scriptures. That's the scriptures been in me. It's a deeper immersion. Now, one leads to the other. The, the, the more you immerse yourself in the Word of God, the more you immerse yourself in the Scriptures, the more it will be in you. I think what Jesus is talking here is about the Scripture becoming like a deep spring that, that bubbles out of us, out of who we are. 
And I'm not just talking about memorizing scripture and, and being able to recall a Bible verse, but, but the process of memorizing actually does help. Helps push it in there. But I'm not simply just talking about have a few memory verses, you know. I'm talking about immersing yourself in the Word of God so that the Word of God is in you. In Matthew 4, 4, uh, Jesus, when some people came to him looking for bread, he says, uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was quoting Old Testament scripture, but he was reaffirming it in the New Covenant. And, and so part of how Jesus nourishes us is with his word. We don't live on, on natural food alone. Our, our, our spiritual life is dependent upon being nourished on God's word. And so as we think about abiding in Jesus, abiding in the presence of God, I want, want to encourage you to uh, renew or deepen your, your abiding in the word of God. Not as a tick-the-box religious Christian practice. I think nothing undermines our abiding than treating it as a chore that has to be done. And so if, we, if we've had that over our life, um, you know, some of our interviews through January, through the summer series, a couple of people spoke of just you know, a, a great faith foundation they grew up in, in, their, in their, the churches they grew up in, but also you know, a, a lid of legalism that came with that. And so that's not an uncommon story or uh, whatever. If, you, if you've come from a place where you have to read the Bible and there's, there's a, a legalism associated with that process, then I just encourage you to, to invite God to remove that from you, but, but dig in and find a way. If that looks like listening with your ears, if that circumvents the, the pathway, the block that was created in your life, listening to Scripture... If that looks like finding a different time, I want to encourage you, if we're going to abide in Jesus, to find a way to abide in his word so much so that it dwells within you. We've got a lot of commuters driving to Canberra and back and forth. Treat that as an opportunity to, to abide in the word of God. I want to encourage you, don't stress about understanding it. There's, there's, there's great power in understanding God's Word. That's, that's kind of the whole reason I'm here this morning is, is to help us understand. It's the whole reason I spend time speaking to winemakers and reading commentaries. It's because I want to understand it, but, but immersing ourselves, feeding on God's Word, isn't just about understanding it. You don't understand unless you're you know a biophysicist or whatever a biologist none of us really understands how the food we put in our mouth some of us understand lots of us don't understand the exact process of how the food we put in our mouth nourishes our bodies and preserves our muscles and builds our bones up and gives us strength and puts extra tires around the middle not all of us understand that we might understand a little bit or a lot we might have, through trial and error, discovered what kind of foods make us feel good and energetic and what kind of feel, foods make us feel lethargic, what kind of foods build that extra tyre, what kind of foods don't. What, what I'm saying is we don't fully understand the process. We just, we just know that we need to fuel our body. 
And it's, it's good to understand nutrition more and more and that helps. It's very good to understand God's word more and more and that certainly helps. But, but don't let a lack of understanding a piece of scripture or, or a portion of it or understanding how it's actually nourishing and feeding you stop you from abiding in it and it abiding in you. Just find a way to be immersed in it. I need to move quicker. It's abiding in the presence of God. It's abiding in His Word. It's abiding in His love. Jesus goes on to say in uh, John chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Abiding in Jesus is abiding in love. If it's abiding in the presence of God, God is love. It's, a, it's abiding in love. But it's not just any kind of love. It's not just abide in warm, fuzzy feelings. Jesus says it's the same love with which the Father has loved me that I love you. I don't think any human in all of history has begun to scratch the surface of what that really means. The same love with which the Father has for the perfect one and only Son, Jesus Christ, is the love that he has for you. And so Jesus says, remain in that. Remain in that understanding, remain in that place of knowing that you're loved. It's the same love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. He says here that greater love has no one. In the bottom of that, in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so Jesus here is, is speaking, looking forward to his own sacrifice on the cross, and, he, and he's saying, remain in my love, but he's saying, there is no greater love than what I'm about to demonstrate to you. Abide in that. Dwell in that. Inhabit that love. Part of the way we, we dwell in love is to, to, to pass that love on to others. We'll grab a hold of that in a moment. Abiding in Jesus is abiding in knowing that we are loved. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians prayed over the Ephesians church and he prayed that they would know the unknowable love. They would know how wide, how high, how long, how deep this love is and, and so I encourage you to pray that prayer over yourself as you seek to abide in love because love is such in some sense an intangible thing to grasp. We can see it demonstrated on the cross but, but it's an intangible thing to grasp what is love. And so I encourage you as you seek to abide in love to pray that over yourself. God, show me how much you love me. Show me how wide your love is. Show me how deep it is. Show me how high it is. Declare over yourself that you are loved. Lots of us face moments in life where, where we just simply feel unloved. We might simply feel like, I'm not good enough for God to love me. I'm not good enough for Jesus' love. And the reality is that's true of all of us, but the reality is that he loves us anyway. And so in those moments, to, to abide in love, I think this is what Jesus is talking about here, to abide in love means when you don't believe it or feel it, to declare it to be true over you. 
to pray that, that God would show it to be real. It also looks like abiding in obedience. In John 15.10, Jesus says this, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. And, and so obedience is not a popular concept today. We live in a world that wants to be free to do whatever it wants any old time. To cast off or restraint what feels good to me must be my truth. Must be my you know, core path in life. Obedience is not a popular concept But abiding in Jesus looks like being obedient to his will. But it's not a bad thing because it means abiding in obedience to God's good, pleasing and perfect plan. Essentially, to abide in obedience means that we trust that what the Bible says about God's plan is true. What the Bible says about his purposes for us is true. What the Bible says about his will for us is true. It means trusting that his ways are higher than my ways. To abide in Jesus is abiding in obedience to his will and his command for my life when my will feels like it might be a little bit smarter or a little bit easier or a little bit more fun. To abide in Jesus means I trust that God's way is better and smarter, and easier, and more fun. And, and, and whenever I have pursued obedience over my own will, then, then my testimony is that's always been true. God's way always seems to have a, a way of turning out better than my own. And so abiding in Jesus looks like abiding in obedience, seeking to live in obedience to Jesus. Specifically in this passage, he says, this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. That, that we're to seek to extend that love that was given from the Father to Jesus, from Jesus to us, we're called to extend that to others. And so that's Jesus' explicit command here, that we're, we're called to be obedient to, is to, is to love others, but, but it's not the only command that he has. He says elsewhere, go and make disciples of all nations. He says elsewhere, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. These aren't performance measures, but our calling is to seek to live out obedience to Jesus as we abide in him. This one's a little bit more fun, a little bit more popular than the concept of obedience, I guess. To abide in Jesus is to abide in his joy. And Jesus puts the two back to back. He says in verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. In verse 11 he says, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. It was the translation that Laurie read, maybe overflowing. Not just full, but overflowing. And so, though obedience, though that concept might not be popular in, in, in today's culture, 
Jesus knows that our obedience, abiding in obedience, isn't a thing of sorrow or, or, or kind of stifling our joy. He's told us so that his joy might be in us, so that our joy might be complete and overflowing. And so to abide in Jesus is to abide in joy. The Greek words for joy and grace are connected. They're similar words. My pronunciation will butcher it, but it's kara and charis. Just as the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. God's grace is our enabling strength. And, and so joy is what empowers us and gives us strength. It's His grace in us. In Psalm 1611, it says, fullness of joy is in the presence of the Lord. And so as we abide in Jesus, as we abide in His presence, as we abide in His Word, as we abide in His love, as we abide in obedience, we should anticipate joy. Romans 15, 13, Paul prays for the church and he says, I pray that you will be filled with all joy and peace. There's a fullness of the joy that Jesus wants for us. And so part of abiding in Jesus is, is practicing joy in his presence. Seeking it out. Opening our eyes to see the good gifts that he's given us, even if that's your bashed up 2006 Mazda 3. Let his presence enable that to be a thing of joy. Even that means just the still moment and knowing his presence. Anticipate joy. I don't know who said it, but uh, it's often been quoted is, is this guy saying, well, the one thing I don't get about Christians is, is why they're so sad all the time. Well, we know we're not sad all the time. Maybe some of us are. But this thing of abiding in Jesus is meant to be an abiding in a fullness of overflowing joy. So if that's not your experience in this moment, don't feel judged or condemned, but pursue it. Pray for it. Go to God and say, God, your word says that if, if I'm in your presence and, 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 and that your presence should bring me joy. I want to feel it. I want to know it. Practice joy in Jesus' presence. And finally, oops, abiding in Jesus is abiding in friendship. It's a relationship. In verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. That concept of obedience again. But he, he uses these words, friends. And, and so he goes on to say, I no longer call you servants. Because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. And so abiding in Jesus is a relationship. This is not like Star Wars, just been aware of the presence of this powerful force in our life and, and seeking to control it and point it at things. This is a friendship. 
Servant is an appropriate word for us. We're called to serve Jesus and, and the apostles still use that word throughout the rest of Scripture. It's not that we're no longer servants, but it's what Jesus has identified us as his friends. We who are not worthy to stand in his presence through his sacrifice, through his revealing of the Father's plans to us, he has made us his friends. Because we've been let in on the Father's business. This is very unusual for a rabbi, for a teacher to call his disciples friends. This, this is in a very hierarchical society where, where students, disciples are not the friends of their teacher. But the greatest rabbi of all time God himself called his disciples friends. You're a friend of God. I used to do some labouring for a friend of mine who was a landscaper um, while I lived in Sydney. And um, uh, he had a, a load of bark dumped out the front of this property that had to come round the back. Um, as well, I still played rugby, so I had some phys physical capacity at the time. So um, I was kind of the human bobcat um, and so he gave me a wheelbarrow and he said uh, fill up the wheelbarrow with that bark and, and bring it out the back and so when I got the first load I came out the, the back with the wheelbarrow and I said Nico, he had a great name, I said Nick uh, where do you want this? And so instead of just saying over there in the corner he said what we're doing is we're going to have a path here we're going to have garden beds over there and there's going to be a water feature over here and this is the type of plants we're going to put in there. And, and he told me the whole thing that he was going to do, except for where to put the bark. <laughs> I said, okay, cool. Where do you want this? But the reason he did that was I wasn't just a labourer. He was one of my best friends. And I was one of his and he was excited about the project and so he wanted to, to share it with me. He wanted to cast the vision for it. And so that's like Jesus with us. He hasn't just said, do this, do that, put the bark there. Yes, there are times we'd like to know more about what God's plans for us are, but, but Paul speaks of it this way. God has, has saved up the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ until this time, but he's revealed it to us. God has revealed to you and to me his great plan for the salvation of all people. Because we're his friends. And so abiding in Jesus looks like developing and nurturing a friendship with him. Treat it as you would any other friendship that you want to see grow. Time gifts, listening, hanging out together. Abiding in Jesus looks like abiding in the presence of God. It's knowing that it, it is not just anyone, but the, the presence of God that you're abiding in. It looks like abiding in His Word, and, and so much so, been immersed in it, so much so that, that His Word is in you and bubbles out of you. that it lives in you. And like I said, it's not just about remembering Scripture, but if, if there's nothing of Scripture that you can call to mind, I encourage you this week, just find a verse 
that speaks to you and try and remember it and see what that does in your life. It's abiding in God's presence. It's abiding in his word. It's abiding in love. Knowing that you are loved beyond what you could ever possibly comprehend apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's abiding in obedience. Trusting that his way is higher than our way. It's abiding in joy. Expecting it and seeking to experience it. And it's abiding in friendship. One of my favourite songs, which is not what we're about to sing now, I'm not putting this kind of pressure on our worship team. One of my favourite Christian songs uh, is from the band Delirious, and it's What a Friend I've Found in Jesus. He's closer than a brother, more faithful than a mother. He's my friend forever. And so I'll finish with that one, not just because it's the last part of this passage, but but that's where I want to leave us this morning. Those other things are are tangible markers of what it means to abide in Jesus. But above all else, it's abiding in the presence of the best friend you'll ever have. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.